Welcome to Weather Hype, a podcast for a casual weather conversation. I'm Castle Williams. And I'm Min Fawn. On this week's episode of Weather Hype, we're talking to a meteorologist at WBRZ in Baton Rouge, Josh Eaches. We're going to be breaking down his blog where he talked about the lightning communication challenges, and he gives us an example of when those challenges actually took place. In addition to that, we'll look at a real-world application with the Ohio State and OU game that happened about a couple of weeks ago with lightning uh, and thunderstorms in and around the stadium, and the idea that the students actually didn't even leave and stayed in their student section. Um, how could we better communicate the lightning uh, safety threat to the students and what kind of motivations uh, go on in their minds as well? Then we will kind of catch up since we last saw each other from NWA. And also Typhoon Meiji was hitting Taiwan uh, this past week and my parents were actually there. But spoiler, they're okay. But there was a lot of crazy things happening with that typhoon. So definitely want to jump into that. And then we will finish up with our songs of the week. So stay tuned. Weather Hype is starting right now. Yeah. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm When I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better Okay, on this week's episode, we have uh, Josh Eaches. He is a meteorologist at WBRZ in Baton Rouge, and he's also a PhD student at LSU studying WeatherCom. So welcome, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me today. I'm uh, really excited to talk with you. I know we've uh, kind of linked up with the weather hype and uh, the weather social, and uh, Castle, you provided a, an awesome blog for us the other week. It was really popular, and we appreciate that. So it's nice to uh, come come to your guys' side and uh, talk a little bit here, too. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you um, reaching out to us and kind of establishing that connection because I think it will prove to be a really good partnership in the future. Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, and, and what, we, what you guys are studying um, and what I'm studying and what the Weather Social does, I mean, it makes only sense. Weather communication is what we're all about. And uh, I think more the more blogs and podcasts like this uh, for the weather enterprise, the better. For sure, for sure. Okay, so basically um, what we're talking about this week is kind of involving the communication challenges of lightning. And so since you mentioned the weather social, you have wrote you wrote a blog about um, some of those challenges from this past summer. So can you give us kind of like a little summary and maybe what maybe inspired that blog post? Yeah, the, what inspired it is actually, uh, in a way, embarrassing. Um, it, it started from a, uh, you know, I was at a, a pool party on a Sunday afternoon uh, in Louisiana. Pretty much that's every Sunday afternoon for everybody. And also every Sunday afternoon in the summer for everybody, there's a thunderstorm around, no doubt about it. Um, we just deal with convective thunderstorms almost every day. You know, you've got your daily 30% chance. And uh, a lot of times those chances go ignored because they're so common and uh, we we heard thunder, uh, didn't didn't see the lightning of course, but you know being the the lone meteorologist of the party, I knew it was time to react. And the the, the house we were at uh, has a, a gazebo uh, outside of the pool area, so I was like, okay, let's get under shelter, everybody. And uh, you know now we I know that's not correct, and I even I guess I did at the time, but then thought of it, and Rick Smith uh, pointed out to me, uh, great that everybody listened to you, but that's not a safe shelter from lightning, he said. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I was embarrassed at the time, obviously, but, uh, 
that got Rick and I talking. We had a conversation. It's what inspired this blog. Is, is and he said, you know, I've done the same thing. Uh, all of us kind of uh, tend to ignore the threat of lightning because it's so low probability. And if you don't know somebody who's affected directly and you don't see it happen, uh, it doesn't carry the same dread factor that a hurricane or a tornado does. And Rick and I just had a long conversation that went from there. Uh, and then I delved into some of the, the literature that goes into, um, you know, the dread factor and whatnot and how people perceive lightning and, and the blog kind of grew from there. But uh, that's what inspired it all. And, and basically the, the summary of it at the end is that, that especially in the southeastern United States where lightning is so common, it's a huge challenge to get people to head indoors when they hear thunder. And I personally feel that the, the when thunder roars, go indoors mantra in the South, I don't think that's working anymore. One, because it's more like a command and with such a low probability of risk, people don't want to follow it. And two, I, I feel like it's just fallen on deaf ears now. You talked a little bit in your blog a few weeks ago about morning fatigue and the cry wolf effect, which are very real things when it comes to life. So with that dread factor um, that you're referring to, uh, you're saying that somebody has to have um, direct experience with dealing with lightning to um, fear it in a way. Um, do you have any personal right. experiences from from you in your life and, and being afraid of lightning or in the research that you're looking at, the literature? Was there anything specific like you had to know someone struck by lightning or could that lightning have struck like near you and freaked you out enough at one point in your life to, to kind of scare you into taking shelter? Um. So first of all, uh, for me personally, lightning is actually the thing that got me into weather. It was when I was scared as a kid, a lightning struck a telephone pole by our house. And uh, I was really scared of weather for like a year. But then I got more and more curious about why that happened, why I was scared. And then like you guys, probably um, for the remainder of my elementary and teenage years, I was the cool kid that watched like the weather channel when I got home from school. <laughs> that was me. So, uh, yeah. So... There was that, and then, yeah, actually my uncle uh, had been struck once and it struck very near to him to the fact where he got zapped oh, wow. two other times. So three times, and they said lightning didn't strike twice. Wow. Um, yeah, it was once once directly, wow, another wow. time, like his TV while he was in his you know uh, recliner, and another time, I think he was in a phone booth that struck a telephone uh, pole nearby. So um, just bad luck there. But uh, And actually in the literature, I, I did not dig too deep into – um, specifics, the dread factor with lightning, it was more or less uh, scholars attaching that to hazards like hurricanes okay, and gotcha. tornadoes, uh, even earthquakes and things like that. But I'm sure that literature has existed, but I, you know, for a blog, I didn't, I didn't do too much research be outside of my schoolwork. Gotcha. Yeah, because I'm thinking back to, I mean, for me, every time I hear thunder, um, especially if it's like a really loud crack, it, it really freaks me out. And I'm trying to think of any time in the past that I experienced lightning to the point where I, you know, was life threatening. And I remember one time I was sitting, um, in, in college at a, studying in the library or something like that. And a lightning strike hit the tree right across the street. And that really freaked me out. Um, and I've always not really been a fan of loud noises, maybe like balloons popping or anything yeah. like that. So maybe that's where my fear of lightning fireworks. comes. Or yeah, fireworks too. Um, so mm -hmm. that might be where my fear comes into play. Because anytime I hear thunder, automatically I'm thinking, oh, we got to get everyone out or I'm not going to stay outside. Even today, we had a thunderstorm coming through uh, Greenville. And I was like, mm, I'm going to stay inside. I'm not going to risk it. But I've never been struck by lightning directly. I've, I don't know anybody that's been struck by lightning directly or gotten hurt. Um, so it's just really interesting. And, you know, I know I know I have like a little bit more of a weather knowledge and weather safety knowledge than most people. Um, but uh, it's just really interesting that 
I take that action because a lot of people who do have that knowledge actually don't act on it necessarily. Like you have more weather knowledge and sure. Castle has more weather knowledge. Um, and I think that's something you discuss mm-hmm. as well, correct? Like saying that you're not the word public is not necessarily um, the way you would describe people. It's just certain people have more weather knowledge than others or something like that. Sure. I, I, um, I, I, I said this in a paper that I'm working on. I used an analogy in one of my research papers that a, a doctor who would tell a meteorologist that it's not safe to smoke at the same time <laughs> would probably not heed a tornado warning. And it's quite simply because outside of our personal areas of expertise, humans are not good assessors of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what it comes down to. And even in that particular case here, here I'm a, a, a trained meteorologist that, yeah, if it's just me and my fiance, me and my brother, my mom, dad, if I hear thunder, if I see lightning, I'm like you. I'm gone. I'm inside. I am, quite frankly, pretty scared of lightning because unlike a tornado and a hurricane that you can see coming, lightning you cannot. You only hear right. the thunder and don't know where the next strike's going to be. And in that particular case, I think the challenge is, and I believe we're going to talk more about this later on with relations to football, um, you're at a pool party with a lot of people, and you're pretty much the bearer of bad news. You are ruining their fun telling them to go inside. Uh, on a chance they're really not too worried about because, let's face it, the probabilities are, are less than 1%, in fact, much lower than that. Um, so it's just not a threat that people take seriously. The unfortunate thing is that where you could ignore potentially a severe thunderstorm warning or a tornado warning or even a hurricane warning, you have a better chance of living through that than you do being struck by lightning. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's you're right. The probabilities are really low. And, you know, I talked about this on an earlier episode when I was hiking in Colorado in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. And when you're hiking out in that part of the country, you're the idea is you're supposed to be descending by 1130 or 12 because of thunderstorms and convection. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, I made the, the decision to continue hiking. And at one point, there was thunder around us. And um you never want to be that person who ruins everything for everybody else. Like, oh, we're not going to be able to summit because of the a few puffy clouds. No, they don't look threatening. And right. in the situation of you in the swimming pool, yeah, like, it, it thinks that you have to be like, all right, guys, like, sorry that I have to take away all of your fun and we have to go back inside. But it's something that you're right. If you get struck by lightning, chances of you surviving are much lower than another weather hazard. But... um it, it yeah. sucks to be the bearer of bad news for people, but you had something really interesting in saying that maybe we could turn it into a messaging way of saying, you know, instead of saying, um, when thunder roars go indoors, you can say, all right, well, you know, here's a thunderstorm coming by, you know, get people inside for a little bit. You can hang out in the living room for a little bit, but you can come back out the way you're saying, like messaging it, but tailor it in a way to certain people and, and make it so that they understand it more and, and can kind of empathize with you a little bit. Right. Sure. My, my message from that day forward on my television broadcast uh, changed. I no longer use when thunder roars go, go indoors because uh, meteorologists, I mean, I think we sometimes have a tendency to want to draw boundaries for everything. We really, we're scientists and we really like uh, a left line, a right line, a top line, a bo- like a boxed in textbook way to do everything. And when it comes to communication, as you guys well know, there is no single one most effective way. There's a number of strategies you can take. And communication will change not only day to day, but year to year. Strategies will evolve through time because messages do it. The English language is designed such that eventually words become overused and outplayed and they get ignored. So now I just try to turn every situation into something unique. If I know it's 
it's uh, you know a Sunday in July, and most people are going to be at pool parties and cookouts. Uh, and we have you know a, a large uh, golf contingent fan base down here, NASCAR contingent fan base. I'll say, hey, uh, why don't you head inside, refresh the beer, get another drink, have a couple couple snacks, let the storm pass. That way, we don't take that chance at all. You know, I could use another drink too. Couldn't be that bad, right? Just give it a few minutes. And just try to frame it into a positive, right? Just try to try to make it something that doesn't sound like you're telling me what to do. Make it something into you, you're giving me options of something where I'm starting to take a low chance of something bad happening, but I've got other things I can do. Yeah, and when you're discussing, you know, the messaging um, when thunder roars, go indoors, or even the one about flooding, turn around, don't drown. Um, when we're dealing with more complex minds and those who are older, like adults who can have more capacity to make their own decisions and weigh out, you know, weigh the risk of one thing or another, um, you have to really be personable in, in talking to them. Um, do you feel that way about like maybe kids and using those slogans, is it okay to talk to children and use, you know, when Thunder Roars go indoors to keep it simplistic and then um, tailor our messages differently to those who are older kind of thing? You know what? That's that's a really good point that I had never uh, actually considered. But I do that. That makes sense to me. You know, having no no literature in mind to back that up, that, that kids would respond more to the slogans because it's easier to remember. Um, and when I do go do school visits to second, third graders, they love those phrases. <laughs> they love turn around, don't drown. They love when Thunder Roars go indoors because they can remember it. They can all say it together yeah. in class. And I think it sticks at a young age. But but that brings up another point in in weather education. And I go back to my elementary school experiences, and I don't remember any of that awareness. Um, I simply remember going over the hazards. What's a tornado? What's a hurricane? Uh, but now, and especially with TV meteorologists and the National Weather Service. Uh, doing school visits, I think we have an opportunity to start these the safety message wording at a young age, and doing that probably makes it more effective at a later age. Uh, so that's a really interesting point you bring up. But yeah, I, I think at least with the, the the generation we're in right now, our our age and above, um, the the phrase and catch slogan messaging does not work. I mean, Castle, did you ever have any elementary school experience with weather and weather safety slogans or anything like that? Well, first before we before I answer that, I tend to i could see a way of arguing against that point also i think that there's a time and place for the use of slogans probably not on television or um like anywhere where we can maybe expand upon what we're talking about but i think like in brochures so i think that it has its time and place for these slogans for even for older people like for people like us or Oh, I think okay. so. Maybe not, like I said, maybe not on television or anywhere where these th- messages can be expanded upon, but like perhaps Twitter or these places where we don't have a lot mm-hmm. of time or characters to get across a message. Yeah. Because I mean, every time I turn on the TV, they always say, turn around, don't drown. I've heard that. I don't know if I'm more aware yeah. of that <laughs> slogan now or overall, but I've heard it so much by, you know, broadcast meteorologists, by anchors sitting there and talking about a flood or even a meteorologist. But local news and yeah. even like national um cable news they have used that slogan a lot um the thunder roars go indoors one i have not heard as much but the turnaround don't drown one seems to be very popular so people i feel like more people know about it um and then yet we still see people you know driving through water and whatnot but go ahead sorry <laughs> i just think people like them because it's it gives you a message but also an action in like short period of time and we need that type of like here's what's happening here's what you can do and it's like 
a couple words. And so I think that's what really drives home the use of those slogans. I'm not necessarily saying that they're the most efficient, but I think that that's why we continue to see them being used is because they provide this action that people can take. And if you're like Josh and you have the opportunity to expound on that and turn it into a more personable message, then by all means, uh, do that because it's more effective. Um, but yeah, if you don't have much time or you have to briefly state something, um, perhaps that could be, you know, the best way to do that. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that is a great point. I, I, I agree. I agree with that, that there, there is a place for them. I, I guess, yeah, I don't want to be harsh in saying they should be eliminated entirely, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that they're the most effective, but I mean, that's a good point. I bring that up on my blog, too, that uh, a lot of meteorologists latch on to the, the, the slogans because they're very <laughs> hashtagable and they're, you know, snackable. Um, they, they can be shared in brief. And so, yeah, brochures. I've seen some highway uh, billboards, some of those digital billboards that'll have the short weather reminders up there. Right. I think that's a good place for them. Uh, but yeah, I do would have to agree that when you have the space in, in a writing on a website or on a blog, or in television, and to, to, to talk a little longer, and you don't have just 100 and, 100 and some odd characters, that um, they're not effective in those mediums. But in the smaller, yeah, they're great ones, for certain... branding. You know, you have signs that have it, you have graphics yeah. that go with it. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, like, when you're driving, and you're saying you might see those signs, but even in, like, DOT folks have click it or ticket, you know, or, or things like that. So just, they right. just go off the tongue really easily, and people can remember them easily, too. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. Maybe someone should do some uh, research on that. <laughs> and then uh, Castle, I think you pointed out, it was just a few weeks ago, you were at a grocery store and they simply had a, uh, a tab out near, I forget which items, but it was just a hurricane symbol, right? Just as a reminder, this is a good prep yeah. kit item. And uh, that's, a, that's, that's an example of a good simple place where that's not necessarily a slogan, but it gets the point right. across. And I mean, they to, to give them credit, they did say be prepared and they had like different like be prepared okay. stock up like they had different like two words for each one but yeah the wording was very minimal and it was all about the hurricane icon and that getting your attention So kind of applying all the stuff we just talked about in terms of messaging, communication, and uh, lightning and lightning safety, we actually have a real-world application we can talk about, which actually occurred a little bit over a week ago. Um, Josh, I know you were following it, and Castle, you were following it a little bit as well. Um, the OU and Ohio State game that happened on September 17th, and the game was going to be happening around, I think, 6 or 7 uh, p.m. Central Daylight Time. And we knew that there were some storms coming. I believe Rick Smith uh, out of the Norman office was showing some convection um, around 2.20, 2.30 uh, in that area. And then we saw a lot of thunderstorms pushing towards Norman and pushing towards the o- Oklahoma City metro. And OU has a fabulous um, emergency preparedness uh, operations and emergency management. Um, and Kevin Claisel has done a lot of great stuff with, with worrying about large you know, campus and making sure people are on top of their game. Um, but this situation kind of, uh, we had a lot of eyes on that situation. Definitely a lot of meteorologists were talking about it, um, on social media. Um, and folks were tweeting photos of it. But, uh, long story short, the storms did end up hitting the, uh, Norman, Oklahoma area. And they actually ended up, um, postponing the, uh, the game for a little bit. But the shocking thing was the students in the student section refused to leave. And that was a huge talking point in what we were discussing. Um, so, I mean, Josh, what were your perspectives about that whole incident? Uh, 
I, I spoke with uh, you a little bit on Twitter, Rick on Twitter, and uh, the ironic thing about that is that I was sitting in my seat in Tiger Stadium <laughs> watching this happen, ignoring the game. One week after, we had the same situation at LSU, um, and, and, and what had happened there is it was the student section once again that folks didn't clear out of, and this was before the game had started. Uh, a storm was coming, so we just had like an hour and a half delay on the storm. But uh, yeah, we, we saw a picture, and I put that on Twitter as well. We you literally we have a shot from the press box of a bolt striking just somewhere near Tiger Stadium. And you clearly see the bolt in the shot with you know you know it's 25% full still mostly the student section. So that's the background. My thoughts at the time were, uh, geez, this is two weeks in a row now. Um, why are people not reacting to this? And, and one thing that I hadn't considered that you pointed out, Min, is the, mm-hmm. uh, the seating policies that you basically you snooze you lose if you're up front and you leave you you can lose your spot um, and. I don't know what the best way to mitigate that is. I think what you proposed, and I'll let you elaborate on that, would probably be the simplest, but I, I'm not sure if there's a reason they haven't done that already or, or, or if imposing that, that new rule of sign seats would, would be effective or not. Sure. And the idea is if you're a football fan and you go to a big football school, whatever, if you're a passionate football fan, um, you know, I was there at, at Georgia and folks are waiting outside the stadium two or three hours ahead of a big game. Mm -hmm. You know, people are really into those sports in this country. And so, and definitely in the college football. So when you're waiting in line to get into the stadium for so long and a student section does not normally have assigned seating, um, you all like run, it's like Black Friday, but like every (laughs) Saturday in in America somewhere, right? Um, You're all fighting for a good spot. And if you're waiting and sitting in the good spot and then a thunderstorm comes, you kind of weigh the idea of, okay, do I really want to leave? Give up my spot. I waited hours and hours for um, only to come back into the stadium and then not have my spot or have a worse spot. Um, that is the issue, it seems like, because most other people cleared out of the stadium knowing their seat would still be there. But for students, you yeah. know, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, if I do evacuate and I come back, oh, well, there's a chance that I, all that waiting was for naught. Um, so the idea, a lot of folks, we discussed this on the, um, was the student's Facebook page. A lot of folks had some good ideas. Um, I believe one student or one person was a uh, OU alumni and she said, you know, that's the culture of their football and student section in that school. And she said, you know, other than having assigned seating for students um, to and allow them to know, like, you know, your seat will still be there if you leave. I don't know what other potential solutions there could be in this specific type of situation, you know, and at a big football school. I've never heard of anybody have assigned seating. It's normally a student section, fill it up, and then there might be like a backup student section uh, somewhere else in the stadium. But for the most part, they don't have assigned seating. And I, I really wonder if that's even an option. If schools are looking into that, if OU or LSU is looking into, okay, these kids were exposed and out there and they could have, you know, gotten struck and, you know, some bad things could have happened. But would they go as far as to have assigned seating? Would that affect, you know, attendance from students? Because some schools do struggle to get students into the football stadium and if they have assigned seating maybe folks would be like well how does that even work logistically um so that might be an issue off the top of my head um i'm trying to think of reasons why they haven't done that or done the past and repealed it and i can certainly think um with that sense situation and and this probably goes for part of the reason the students aren't assessing that risk fully and leaving is uh let's say at least a percentage of them have impaired judgment at the time. Yeah. <laughs> just taking a wild guess at that. Um, and, and with when you add that same reason for impaired judgment to the equation, 
if there were assigned seats, I think you have a, a pretty good uh, recipe cooking up for some confrontation uh, over seats uh, in that situation. So perhaps in an effort to avoid that, everybody's just aware, okay, we get down and we find a seat where we can and that's that. Um, it, but it's just, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, as much as I want to get people out of the pool, the pool party, you're talking about three or four people at a pop, you get lightning to strike a stadium, you're taking out a whole section of 40, 50 people that, that are either killed or seriously mm-hmm. injured. And that's why it's, and, and, and I've said it on, on social media, I've said it on air, I've seen it before. It is not a matter of if, but when. You know, may, hopefully not in our lifetime, but someday a stadium full of people is going to get struck by lightning. And unfortunately, it's going. It's it's probably going to take that happening for there to be drastic policy change. And it seems, you know, because the way football and college works is very commercial. A lot of money is involved with anything like this too. Um, and I believe we had another situation where a game was being televised, and they didn't want to. Um, it was like a halftime. It might have been another Ohio State game, if I uh, remember correctly. And they didn't want to um, put everyone inside when the storms were coming. It was like a downpour, and it was I think televised on a national cable network. And they just wanted to hurry up and get to halftime before they, um, you know, force fans to go inside and uh, stop the game from playing. So there's a lot of different ideas that go on in addition to motivation. Um, Another thing that I did want to point out based on our previous discussion was I did listen to uh, Weatherbrain's episode that did talk about this. They did mention that Texas A&M and NC State, I believe, they both offer free athletic games and programs to all their students. And so prior to a game, they have to go pick up a ticket. When they get into the stadium, they have an assigned seat based on that ticket. Oh, so there are some schools that do have... Okay, interesting. Whether they sit there or whether they trade seats or whatever. That's up to them. Yeah, that's up to them. Gotcha. So it makes me me wonder if, like, there's some type of, uh, like, in-between thing that we can do. So maybe it's something that gets put into almost like the incident action plan or uh, whatever the emergency managers have in place for the stadium to where if there's some sort of forecast severe weather or there's the potential for severe weather, then they issue tickets upon entering the gate. That's a really good idea. That's a good right. So you wouldn't have to do it all the time. So people wouldn't be frustrated. But then if there's a forecast for severe, severe weather, then the people who are scanning your ID or whatever to get in the door, they someone just hands you a piece of paper, and then that's like where you sit. I have to imagine that logistically would create yeah. issues um, just in, in terms of planning. And, then, and uh, you know, another another way, you know, you just got my wheels turning here. <laughs> if you, I mean, it's it's if you make it a rule that people have to follow, and there are repercussions right. for that rule. Um, certainly that would get people to react too. I mean, I, I don't know if we're there yet, but if you get to a point where you simply have uh, a camera fixed on the student section to the point where you can ID those who chose mm. to stay behind and they're not allowed to come to games anymore, something yeah. like that. that, that might be more work than it's worth. But I think if that threat's out there and it's printed on the ticket and people realize that we're asked to leave the stadium as they do in right. every NCAA stadium, we have a strong lightning policy. If we're asked to leave and don't leave. We do face repercussions. Yeah. And Nate kind of went into a little bit of that on the weather brains episode. He said, if we truly believe there's a lightning threat and the people are not leaving, then we should have some sort of right at that point. They could be considered trespassing and we, we could have them forcefully removed. If that's, if we truly believe this is, uh, a lightning threat we're issuing this message then why aren't we following through with it and it goes through back to the, the you know if you talk about flooding then and turn around turn around we get mad and we see a, a car and water you're you're mm-hmm. putting a uh a, you know a first responders life at risk 
at the same time, you'd probably be putting some usher's life at risk right. and chase these students out of there because they're breaking the rule too. So yeah, it, 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 it's tough. There, there have to be solutions and they're probably solutions that cost money that, that these schools don't want to spend right now. Um, that, that's my thought. But I mean, just the conversation the last five to 10 minutes here are awesome. Some ideas that would work that I'm sure are not the most cost effective and logistically require some more time. But uh, we are talking about lives and uh, we, we don't want to be that stadium that's the example of why new policies exist. Exactly. And, you know, one thing with this whole incident at OU that really frustrated me was that the idea amongst a lot of folks in meteorology and weather that, okay, we communicate the message, we tried our best, they don't listen they die. Who cares? Like, it's not our fault. It's not on us. Right. But I still feel as a communicator of weather information and severe weather information that I have an obligation to try everything I possibly can. And we may not have all the solutions now, but that's what research is for. And especially in terms of um, the social sciences, communication, um, the psychology, sociology and motivations behind why people do things. And, you know, you could probably look back 20 years ago and think there was no way we could do this or that. But we are doing this kind of stuff with the research that we're doing now in terms of integrating all these awesome ideas of you know, social science and meteorology together. So for me, I just want people in the weather enterprise to know that setting the limitation to, oh, well, we've done everything we can, there's nothing else we can do. I don't think that's necessarily true, because I think there's always room to grow. And yeah, you can't always be like, oh, one person died, I like take fault in that, that's my, that's my fault. No, we can't save every single person. But I don't want to have that mentality that we're all giving up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I, uh, I, I think... That was some of our interaction on Twitter the other week is, is I had, a, I guess, a feeling of helplessness uh, because I didn't know what more we could do at the time. I hope it didn't come across as me saying, I hope they die. I guess that was not it. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think no, you want yeah, that. It was just, no, no. It's just like, what what else can we do? At, the, at, at this point, there is nothing else we can do. What we need is we need action mm-hmm. from some, some fields outside of meteorology to step in here. It's probably our job to take that to them and say, look, we really mm-hmm. need to look at this. Um, but I mean, we were in a situation last week with those students not moving at that time. Uh, I, I'm not sure that anything else could be sure, done at that sure. time. Uh, but, uh, man, moving forward, we do need to do something. It's like I said, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of, I mean, I, I put another image out on social media. I showed it on my broadcast of what it looks like when a stadium does get yeah. hit by a Yeah, that was, was crazy. A, uh, Formula One racing stadium. I mean, you know, look, the seats got vaporized. So imagine if people yeah. were in them. So, I mean, it hits stadiums. They're tall objects, um, usually in big open spaces. They're going to be, uh, they're going to tend to be more, uh, you know, attract lightning a little more easily, just like, you know, cell phone towers and television towers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's, it's something we do need to figure out. And I want to say that a few years ago, there was a NASCAR um, spectator who got struck and killed by lightning. Um, and there was some, you know, up. Not uprising, but there were some folks who were talking about it. And then it seems like now the same kind of incidents are occurring. Um, and we're discussing it more as a community. So I, I hope that the momentum is continuing to the point where we really are trying to, um, work with other partners that we know and other folks in other disciplines to really mm-hmm. try to figure out what to do. Cause it seems like this, this stuff has been happening for years and years. And now we have the more visibility in terms of social media and we're all talking about it together and everyone's integrating more, um, different ideas. So 
I think that if we continue to ride with that, uh, the shift in the way we see things and how we communicate and, and look at weather and, and weather safety, um, we can really push for something positive. And the discussion in the past couple of weeks about this incident alone have been pretty, uh, enlightening and, and really, uh, motivational and positive. So I think people are really wanting for something to happen. And if we continue to talk about it and, and get some action, then perhaps we could avoid some catastrophic event in the future. Yeah, and that's what it is. The conversation's beginning. I'm sure it's existed for years. I mean, we're, uh, you know, the three of us are fairly new to the social science meteorology interface, but I mean, it as a whole is fairly new. But, uh, you know, we have addressed flash flooding, tornadoes, hurricanes. I'm not sure that since that, that really strong social science meteorology partnership has emerged in the last five or six years, lightning has probably taken a little bit of a back burner. All the while, the Weather Service has been working on that message. But um, I, it probably is time that, the, that we, as uh, social science meteorology students, uh, start to take it to that next level where we put lightning in that upper echelon of these other hazards as a, as a really big problem waiting to happen. Exactly. Could not agree more. Josh, is there anything else that you'd like to, to add about that? I appreciate you guys having me. I, it was a really good conversation, like you said. Uh, there, aren't, there aren't too many of us out there that are grad students uh, slash meteorologists, and I think that the combo of focusing on communication, social science, and weather is where the next generation of meteorology is going. So I think, it's, I think we're kind of on the uh, forefront there, and that's good. It might just be because that's what we're tied up in. So far. <laughs> that's the next thing. But I, I think it truly is the case if you look at the, you know, the keynote addresses at AMS and NWA is where it's going. And uh, and just secondly to that, uh, anytime you guys have an idea for a, a, you know, a blog post that you'd like to add to the weather social, you guys are obviously welcome. We welcome the extra content. And uh, I think it's a really good symbiotic relationship weather hype and the weather social can have here just uh, sharing content through the, uh, the coming months and years. For sure. Definitely. For sure. For sure. All right, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. So, Castle, it has been quite some time, but I guess we have an opportunity to talk about some uh, of our fun personal life stuff, right? How long has it been? Like a week? And a half? Yeah, I guess it's been about a week. Since I think NWA? we talked to each other last... Well, we talked to each other last Friday on the phone oh, about yeah. some stuff. And then... And that was after NWA. But, uh, yeah, it's always pleasant to hear from you, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, I hate working with my best friend. It sucks. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. It's fun. I love it. Um, But anyway, no, the... um. The typhoon uh, Meji. I don't know if that's how you yeah. say it. Meggy. What is it? Don't they um, usually have two names? What's the other name? Uh, it had another name. Oh, I don't know. I thought they always have like an American name or something. That's what Asian people do in America. No, I know <laughs> that, but don't they? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> my name is Soong Tao, but you can call me Amy. <laughs> that's the lady, the teriyaki lady at the mall back at home. Ooh, she has like a crazy name, but she has a nickname. On her or her name tag says Amy, and then sometimes <laughs> it says May, so it's like an anagram. Like she, she switches oh. the letters around. It's really confusing. So I was like, next time I see her, it's gonna be called Yam. <laughs> oh I don't know. Gosh. Anyway, off topic. I mean, okay, continue. Anyway, yeah, sorry. sorry, I took um, this on that. Well, route. to answer your question, the Filipino um, organization, I believe they have a different name. Oh. Um, so there was a there was a super typhoon Haiyan, yes. and it was also called Yolanda. Yes, yes, that yes. What That's what I'm about. thinking of. Sorry, my bad. No, you're good. You're good. Um, 
No, my family was in um, Kaohsiung, I think is a city in Taiwan uh, on the southwestern part. And they're vacationing there, uh, visiting a family member. And then they're also going to Korea. Mm. So they were stuck in Taiwan when the um, typhoon hit. I think they had winds of like 135, 140 miles an hour. Holy moly. And yeah, it was really strong. It was a cat four or a strong cat three and um, storm surge and everything. And the day before, my mom was talking to me on uh, Facebook Messenger and she was like, you know, is there anything we need to worry about? I was like, well, yes, it's kind of a big deal. Um, I mean, the storm itself wasn't super huge, but the idea of a country being hit by such a strong storm in the United States, we would freak out for a tropical depression. Oh, yeah, for or sure. Or tropical storm. And over there, you know, the Central Weather Bureau is the um, governing weather body that kind of uh, gives issues, alerts, and, and warnings and stuff for Taiwan. And they they've done a good job. They did a great job. But people were not really taking any uh preparation that seemed like because my mom was saying you know it's absolutely not chaotic here people are out and about in the street mm. chilling um having fun um driving around she said she talked to the hotel because I, t- I told her hey you might want to talk to your uh, hotel concierge person and see right. if um they're doing anything and they said no just stay in your hotel room and my uh, cousin over there that they're hanging out with was like yeah if, if the power goes out we'll just go get ramen i'm like wow what? like no you need you need to stock up on water you need to stock up on food and i believe like over 3 million people lost power mm-hmm. and four people died and like a few dozens of other people were injured. So there were definitely significant impacts, maybe not directly where they were, but people were just like not really worried. And to me, you know, I don't know the culture over in Asia and in Taiwan, mm-hmm. but it's so shocking. I mean, the week before they got hit by another uh, super typhoon, I believe, Marantai. Mm-hmm. Or Maranti, Maranti, yeah. yeah, and they got hit. They got skirted. It went to the south of the country, but I think um, some of the outer bands hit Taiwan, um, and they've been hit. I think two other times this one uh, hurricane typhoon season. So they've been seeing it a lot. And I don't know if that means that they're just like, ah, we got hit by a typhoon last week. We're good. Like we dealt with it. It's crazy because if we we had that same situation here in 2005 with hurricanes continually hitting in 2004, hitting Florida and the Gulf of Mexico uh, areas and stuff. Um, but I don't think anybody was desensitized to it. If anything, the media coverage was even greater and people were freaking out even more. Well, it's interesting that you bring this idea of culture up because I was actually doing some readings for our seminar that was today. And we were talking about how the culture of risk differs for collectivist cultures versus kind of individualistic cultures. And so collectivist is in like... So like you're more family and community oriented versus like america which is more individual but the interesting part was they showed that the collectivist cultures were more likely to take action based on like risk messages that they were given so that's kind of interesting that you provide this perspective it seems like a little bit of um, an opposite of what we would we would expect right right well maybe i mean there's also like your risk perception so i wonder if their risk perception is lower and so when they receive these messages or maybe there aren't any messages going out. So that's why no one's reacting. I think the biggest difference is that when we as an individualistic culture get a message, we're more likely to keep it to ourselves. We don't rely on it as much or we think they're kind of overblowing this information versus a collectivist culture would actually take that message to heart and act on it. So perhaps the risk perception isn't as high. So a message wasn't actually issued to these people. So that's why they're not um, taking action or doing anything. 
Yeah, I'll have to look into it more to see like how the media over there covered mm-hmm. it and whatnot. I mean, I found articles about it from uh, local newspapers and stuff. So, um, and the information was out there on the uh, Central Weather Bureau website. So I would assume that with the robust um, online presence, that they would hopefully be able to get that information out to the media and to uh, government officials and whatnot too. Um, but there is one kind of funny thing that happened from the storm. There was a meme or a photo of a lady. She's like outside in the typhoon and the rain and wind is blowing. And it's a photo of her. Her umbrella is like all jacked mm-hmm. up and she's eating a, a steamed pork bun. And she has like the most intense look on her face like while eating the pork bun and like holding on to her umbrella. And it's just <laughs> so funny because it's like, yeah, um, you know, typhoon uh, getting away and getting to shelter or eating pork bun <laughs> in the middle of the street. Like, which one's more? And my friend posted it on my Facebook page yesterday, and I just laughed. But, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny when you see the photo, and we'll post it. But um, it's just so weird to think that in the middle of a typhoon, who is selling pork buns? <laughs> and why is this lady out getting a pork bun? Like, bruh. She's got to eat. It's like 100-mile-an-hour winds and the rain. I mean, you got to eat, but, like, that's what Chef Boardee is for, man. Like, I don't know. Like, that's what you what you should have stocked up on. You... You just go out in the middle of a typhoon and say, oh, time to get food. No, like you should have prepared ahead of time. I don't know. Or maybe she was selling them and she just packed everything up and there was one left over. And so she was eating maybe. it on her way home. We'll have to see if there's like a uh, an actual interview with her or something. But um, it just reminds me of last week when I uh, there was like a huge thunderstorm that hit Greenville. And uh, I really was craving Chinese food. But when oh. I left my apartment, it was fine. But then when I got out and started driving, then the storm started hitting mm. and pouring and I was like, oh, my God, the things I do for Chinese Did you food. keep going? But, <laughs> yeah, I kept going. Yeah. I already placed my order, so I had to go get it. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want food Priorities. sitting there. Priorities. But... Dude, and also I had a craving, man. I've been having oh. a craving for Chinese food ever since we left Norfolk. That was I really know. good Chinese food. I'm <laughs> craving it so much right now. It's it's ridiculous. But I did, Ugh, a side, sidebar, I did have steamed buns for the side first time. Side note? You said sidebar? Whatever, sidebar, <laughs> side note. Sidebar. I did have steamed buns for the first time this week. What? They're pretty Where'd good. Where'd you get steamed buns from? Um, this place called Sea Bear in Athens. It's like a seafood place. Whoa! What was in the What was in the pork bun? It was It was chicken actually with a Japanese barbecue sauce. Whoa! Yeah. I would not have expected you to get that. That is really cool. It was It was pretty delicious. Actually, um, my friend Snapchatted me today because she's listening to the earlier episodes of Weather Hype, and she was like, your friend Castle would not approve of my salad right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of funny. But yeah, so, hey, Castle tries to steam bun for the first time. Yeah, that's true. Steam buns. You, you. Welcome to my culture, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what's been new with you? Um, nothing much. A lot of work trying to catch up since NWA. I got, uh, reviews back on two manuscripts, so I've been trying to fix those and get those sent back off. Um, I actually got a new bed, which is really exciting. I now- You've never had a queen-size bed I've before, never, you I've said? always had a twin my entire life. <gasps> you never had a full-size bed? Nope. I've always had a twin, and I finally decided since I moved into my own apartment, I get to have my own furniture- that I want my own bed. And so yes. I got it well, yesterday. Well, I don't know if this is TMI, mm-hmm. but I mean, everyone knows about our lives anyway. Yeah. But you said that you don't really care for cuddling with other people. Do you feel like you'd be more inclined now that you have a larger <laughs> bed? Well, that's kind of the reason why I did get a larger bed 
it's almost Ooh, like what? an indication that I'm open to being in a relationship, I guess. Ooh. Because I always okay. felt like since I have a twin bed, it's kind of like this indication that, oh, I just want to be alone, you know? Gotcha. And gotcha. so I feel like it's almost like kind of an indication like, you know what? I'm getting to that time in my life where I am open and trying to figure out things. There you go. All right. Well, I know when I sit at your place, I sleep on your couch, which is actually very comfortable. But when you pull it out as a futon, my old place, or uh, at the at the at your old place, yeah, yeah. When you pull it out as a futon or into a a uh, bed, it's mm-hmm. not as comfortable. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I know you offered me your bed one time, which is really nice. I don't think I slept in your bed though, just because you I was didn't. like, I'm gonna let you have your bed. <laughs> but now, if you come visit, I have a guest room with a twin bed in it. So, so I still can't sleep in the same bed with you. I like, mean, you can have the queen bed if you want. But, but like together, no, not like together. You and I, as friends, as platonic friends. No, <laughs> let's establish that out there, guys. I know all of our listeners are shipping us together, but <laughs> nah, nah, son, we friends <laughs> with the benefit of conversation. Oh, <laughs> and I was about to say, whoa, the B word. <laughs> the <laughs> and which B word is that? Benefit? Yes. Lol. So, Castle, you watched the debate the other night, right? With uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. Yes, as if there was a debate with any other people. But, yes. Uh, I mean, they're going to have a vice president debate. Excuse me, <laughs> but... <laughs> but anyway, back to oh your original gosh. question. Yes, I did watch the debate. I originally planned to do work during it and just have it on in the background. But then once it finally started, it was really bad. So I couldn't avert my eyes. I mean, bad for whom? Oh, my gosh. For America? or <laughs> It was... I'm just going to stop. I couldn't avert my eyes. Oh, man. <laughs> well, politically, I mean, as meteorologists and folks who are into weather and climate um, and other things, too, I feel like <laughs> our positions on politics are rather known to people. Well, and I don't want to necess- like, shove my beliefs down everyone's throat. Yeah. Um, but if we're trying to look at it in a completely unbiased way, mm-hmm. I think there was a really clear winner because, you know, I'm just saying from care. a preparation like, standpoint, there was a clear winner. Hillary definitely prepared more. Yes. And we all know that. And even Trump agreed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it was so strange because he was sniffling so much. I did not even then, notice that. Honestly. Yeah. I noticed him sniffling a bunch and then he was drinking a bunch of water, yeah, which is he, fine. His like, hand what was you shaking do. too when he was drinking. Yeah, water. I know. So I was like, man, he seems like he's a little bit shaken by all of what's going on or, you know, whatever. And the issues were interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to kind of try to be a little bit more unbiased as well. Um, I felt like the moderator, Lester Holt, was definitely going after Trump more and not as much against Hillary. Right. Like, I felt like he could have pressed more about the emails. Um, Trump even said, you know, what about your emails? You know, I'm not going to release my tax uh, records if you don't release your email records. And she kind of dodged it and said, you know, for that, I apologize. I mm-hmm. made a mistake and move. let's move on. But she didn't really take time to address it. And I feel like some people who aren't completely on her side yet would have loved for her to say more. And she didn't. Yeah, I would I would almost argue that Lester gave Donald Trump plenty of time to attack Hillary with the emails. It was the perfect time to bring up the emails when he talked about the risks of cybersecurity. And that was Donald Trump's cue to bring up the emails and say, if Hillary wasn't very good at like being honest in like her security with the email web server, then how is she supposed to lead our country into strides of cybersecurity? So I think that was 
the perfect opportunity for him to bring up the emails and he did not. So maybe he explicitly may have asked, interrogated in a way Trump more, but implicitly right. he gave Trump a lot of opportunities and in, in, in that way, um, perhaps it was more fair mm-hmm. than some who claim. I don't know. Um, cause after the, um, debate, there were polls taken and I believe scientific polls that definitely proved that showed that Hillary definitely won amongst, um, voter support and especially amongst undecided voters who were debating against those two. I think they were like, yeah, Hillary performed better. But I believe Trump was out campaigning the next day and said, I won all of the polls mm-hmm. and, and I won everything. And I was like, um, I'm not really sure about that, but okay. Well, just like social science, there are methodologies behind how these people poll. And so different pollsters do different things. They pick from different audiences. They you choose different questions to ask. So you cannot always take like a poll for what it's worth at face value. You have to kind of dig around and see how did they ask these questions? Who are they asking them to? What audience are they supposed to be representative of? So keep that in mind when you're looking at polls. And that kind of scares me a little bit too, because it seems like it could potentially undermine like the scientific processes of like collecting data and information. Mm-hmm. Cause it seems like you can manipulate whatever oh, you want sure. to get whatever you want. And in science, you can definitely do that too, but I don't want the public to think, Oh, some polls say this, some polls say that. Um, what is the truth? You know, where is the lie? I don't know. But in going with the debate stuff, uh, one thing that really annoyed me was, um, Donald Trump saying, like, we're talking about climate change. And Mm -hmm. Hillary was like, you said that it was something invented by China. And he said, nope, no, I didn't. Absolutely wrong. I did not say anything like that. No, there is definitive proof of you saying that even in social media, on Twitter, right. and also in uh, in interviews as well, saying that climate change isn't real. Because um, he went and started it and said, you know, my opponent thinks climate change is the most important, not terrorism. She said terrorism is the most important thing. It hurt a little bit hearing that from her. And I get terrorism is really important. Uh, I know Bernie was one of the ones who straight up said climate change is the most important problem that we have. And that was what Donald Trump was alluding to. But to hear her say that one thing was the most important, um, instead of just saying it was important in general, was kind of like to me, the fact that like climate change isn't important to her because it never came up during the debate. Mm -hmm. And granted, it wasn't part of the time blocks that they had to talk about. They didn't really talk about anything besides like war and and, um, police and brutality Mm -hmm. and Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. They didn't really talk about climate change. Um, so I'm really hoping to see that in the next debate for sure. Well, one thing that comes to mind when you say that is I'm not sure that Hillary doesn't believe climate change is the number one threat. I believe she thinks the voters who are undecided think that terrorism is the number one threat. And so social say, yeah, she, I mean, I'm sure terrorism is really important to her, but we don't necessarily know for sure that that is her actual number one target. Um, yeah. This whole debate is persuasion. She's trying to persuade the people who are in the center of the continuum that they need to vote for her. And how does she do that? She addresses that the important topics for her align with them. And so I believe a lot of people believe terrorism is the number one threat to the United States. And so... Of course, she's probably going to say that. But overall, I think I kind of tend to agree with the analysts who kind of broke down the debate. Donald Trump started off well, and then he started getting baited by Hillary's answers. And yeah. she really drug him down and she never faltered. So she's saying even like, you know, I'm sorry that I prepared for it, but I also prepared for yeah, that presidency. Booyah. And also her <laughs> drops the mic like that shimmy gif is just the best. Oh my god, I love it. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about.
now that we have talked about the debate in our personal lives, it has come to that point in the podcast where we share our songs of the week. <laughs> so, man, what is your song of the week for this podcast? I don't have one. You do not have one? <laughs> no, I do. I do. I'm okay, kidding. I was about to say. Um, I always have one in my pocket on my iPod. So, Calvin Harris released a new song Ooh, called My Way. My Way. You've heard that one, right? Yes. Do you think so, it's about Taylor Swift? Oh, it has to be. Oh, it definitely has to be. As soon as I heard it, I was like, he's, oh, I feel so sorry for him. The lyrics go into the idea of, you know, uh, you were in my way and I'm going my own way now. Yeah. That seemed to be the the main message of I it. Know. And I can't help but to think that uh, T-Swift was in his way and now he going his another way. And she's not in his way no more. So, <laughs> But I don't see it how she like, was in his way. Well, it's like in his way is in like finding true love. Like she, um, maybe he thought that she I was, was it, and then business. oh no, no, I'm thinking about it in terms of like like romance and love. Because if you have an ex, they were they're kind of in your way because they weren't the right person. They wasted gotcha. your time. They wasted your effort, and for what? I mean, for the experience of everything. But um, in the end, it was an obstacle that they had to overcome. So to me, that's what the song means, and um, it's a little bit more mellow. It, you can tell it's definitely a calvin harris kind of song but it's a little bit more mellow and chill um and you can kind of dance to it and whatnot in the car but it's nothing super exciting but it's i don't know moment like rhythmic and uh kind of just like pleasant for your ears <laughs> no at the first time i, I heard it on the radio i was like oh a new calvin harris song and as soon as it started i was listening to the lyrics and i was like oh snap I know who this is you about. You don't normally listen to lyrics. I know I right? don't, but it just kind of jumped out at me. I don't know why. And then as soon as and that's it, his voice, right? Is it? I'm pretty sure. I never it is. know like what's his voice and what's other people's voices because he does the DJ thing a lot. Yeah, I think he also sang um, uh, "Feel So Close to You" mm. or "So Close to You" right now, and then also uh, "When I Met You in the Summer." Oh, okay. He sings that one yeah, too. Yeah, that makes sense. So I believe that's the same voice, but I don't know if there's a lot of. Uh, audio editing with his voice but um i think he i mean he has a decent like whatever like was that uh tenor or yes yeah. and okay tenor or bass voice, so. one of the two yeah very low voice but it sounds good well so. low is bass you you. tenor is okay. high how high is tenor uh less than alto when i met you in the summer yeah that's more bass <laughs> tenor is closer okay. to alto okay gotcha um, All you music kids out there will understand. I used to be a music kid. Yeah, I know. And then I then you stopped, worked. unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what's your song of the week? So my song of the week, I had difficulty picking between two, but I ended up deciding on "The Greatest" by Sia. Um, it's pr- the greatest. Yeah, it's a pretty greatest. powerful song. Um, I'm pretty sure it's about the Orlando shooting, correct? I believe it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, the music video is really intense, and if you haven't checked it out, you should definitely do that. We'll post it on the website. Um, but the song is very—it's very catchy and very good. And like you said, I'm not a lyricist. I don't listen to lyrics a lot. Um, <laughs> so, but in this one, it's—it's it's very clear. Like, don't give up. I won't give up. Like, telling them not to give up. Like, while the shooting's happening and not to die and stuff so it's it's yeah. it's sad but it's it's very powerful so powerful uplifting yeah and things you want in the song exactly uh, for sure and sia is someone that i don't care who you are and what kind of music you like but i, I think everybody I respects her, her a lot for what she does yeah i love just like how imperfect it is you know yes and i i love how she's not afraid to use like her fame or 
like her position in life to get things out and really bring up conversations and stuff. That's what I like. Yeah. I'm glad that she does that. Um, you know, Beyonce is doing that mm-hmm. with her, uh, with all the stuff she's doing. Um, and super randomly, I know, cause we both kind of follow tennis a little bit. Serena Williams, um, started speaking out too about some of the Black Lives Matter oh, really? and police shootings and stuff. Yeah. And, um, she was, she posts like a Facebook status about like she will not be silent any longer and wants to talk about this and stuff and bring it up. Um, with the way everything's going, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of celebrities are, are coming out and talking about this kind of uh, issue. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to make it any better or worse, but I think it's, it's worth good a shot. to have discussion. Yeah. And a celebrity to take a stand because a lot of people are looking to these very powerful mm-hmm. people to say something. And, um, you know, because if another uh, everyday Jane Doe or John Doe says something, no one can hear them as much. But if a celebrity says it, um, it really amplifies the message. So um, it's very interesting to see the progression of, of celebrities taking a stand and talking about the really important issues. And I tend to respect people like that more who are celebrities who take the time to use their power for um, to instill positive change. Right. Let's wrap it up. Like a tortilla wrap. Hey. So you can find us in a variety of places, including the Weather Hype Podcast website, which is weatherhypepodcast.com. And also on Facebook at facebook.com slash weatherhype. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words weather and hype. Or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. And please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or on uh, some of your Android podcast apps. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, And we're just, you know, trying to get more people to listen to us if we can. And uh, feel free to spread the message of uh, what we do, because we really uh, love that. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last podcast. I don't think so, because it's been a while. Um, But we are now on Stitcher, which is another podcast app that you can get on iTunes or Android. Um, So if that is your app of choice, it is now available on there as well. You, son. All right. So until next time. Until next time. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. Slowly conquering the globe. You can even listen to us on a cordless earphone <laughs> sometime soon. You can listen to yeah. us on a NOAA weather radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, Welcome to yeah. Weather Hype. A, a podcast, podcast for casual... <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. My name is Castle Williams, and my name is Min Fon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even... Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to have plenty of uh, things for you to edit at the end of this, aren't we? <laughs> I don't anyway. care. It's fun. <laughs>